The share market hits a six-week high as large caps regain favour. The bill to authorise the voice referendum passes the Senate. And the mysterious increase in cancer cases for younger people. It's Tuesday, the 20th of June, 2023. Welcome to Fear and Greed, Australia's most popular business podcast. I'm Michael Thompson, and good morning, Sean Aylmer. Good morning, Michael. Sean, after the show, you have an interview coming up with Matt Leibowitz, who is the co-founder and CEO of a supporter of Fear and Greed, Stake. Yes, it was a great investing interview, we chatted about what some of Stake's clients are investing in, what they're seeing. Things like, are people thinking more about passive investing or active investing? And then we went into some stocks, how they're investing in artificial intelligence, how they're investing in battery metals and lithium and that type of thing. So great chat for investors. Yes, indeed. It's coming up a little bit later on. But the main story this morning, Sean, really along a bit of a similar theme, isn't it? The local share market hit a six-week high yesterday with several large cap companies regaining favour at the end of a pretty strong financial year for equities. Yes, the Commonwealth Bank pushed back above $100 a share after rising more than 1%. CSL, which had been sold off hard in recent sessions, jumped a couple of percent as well, while stocks like West Farmers and Woolworths have found friends. As we head towards the end of the financial year, the S&P ASX 200 looks like ending up around 12%, barring any sudden movements over the next couple of weeks. There have been some great performers over the past 11 or 12 months. Industrial property group Goodman, Woolies, West Farmers, Fortescue Metals Group are all up around 20%. The standout over the past year or so, among the large caps at least, has been the tech stocks and particularly Wise Tech Global, which is up more than 120%. Zero is up 60% and REA Group is 45% higher. Other strong performers have been QB Insurance. It's been able to push through higher premiums. Its share price has jumped up. Pallet Maker Brambles is another one that's had a really good financial year, at least in share market terms. Uh, that's all very positive, Sean. Mm-hmm. But this is a, a show that's all about balance. It's yes. kind of like Harry Potter, really, with Voldemort there to, to balance things out. Um, what are the companies that haven't done so well? If you stick with the large caps, it's been the big materials companies and energy companies that have underperformed so far this financial year. Santos is actually lower than where it was 12 months ago. BHP and Rio have underperformed. Perhaps the surprising underperformer has been National Australia Bank, which is flat over the past 12 months. Now, this is in an environment where interest rates are rising and that should help the banks. So it is surprising. Mind you, NAB had run pretty hard ahead of the financial year. The two worst performing companies among the top 200 this fiscal year are household names. The Star Entertainment Group has struggled after a multitude of inquiries made findings against the gaming giant. Its share price has more than halved and Domino's Pizza's shares are down 25%, hurt by slowing consumer demand higher ingredient costs and a slowdown in new store openings. All right, plenty of kind of headlines there, Sean. Let's dig into some of the reasons. What are the main reasons behind these? There's plenty, as you'd expect. Some are very stock-specific. The star is a great example of that. Some are sector-specific. Energy prices have come off a long way, and that's hit the energy companies. Places like Whitehaven, Yancoal, New Hope, Woodside, Santos, they're all a reflection of what's happened to energy prices. In other cases, rising interest rates should actually help. The banks being a good example in that area, though fierce competition in the housing market has limited some gains, some like the Commonwealth Bank have done well, National Australia Bank, not so well. 
In other sectors, rising interest rates will hurt. The real estate investment trusts are a great example of that. Then there's the slowdown in household consumption and the slowing of the economy, a disappointing post-COVID recovery in China, a rising housing market locally, an artificial intelligence-induced surge in tech stocks, a host of other reasons, Michael. Bottom line is that this financial year has actually been pretty solid for the ASX, even if the past six months or so have been disappointing. All right. What about yesterday specifically? Where did the market close? The S&P ASX 200 finished up 0.6%, 7,295 points. I mentioned that the Star and Dominoes are the two worst performers this financial year thus far, but they're actually two of the best performers yesterday specifically, up 4.5% and 4% respectively. On the flip side, it was a tough day for the energy companies with coal prices much lower. The banks were solid, the iron ore miners weaker, Woolies had a good day up 2.5%, while Goodman Group and Transurban also did okay. The insurers, including QBE and Suncorp, did well, while the tech stocks tended to underperform. And what's happening in international markets? Well, there's a bit of a sell-off in commodity markets generally, and I've mentioned coal a couple of times it's really falling quite sharply. It's down about 70% from its highs of last year, off about another 5% yesterday. It hit a new two-year low yesterday, and that's really putting pressure on a lot of those energy companies. Otherwise, most commodities were down over the past 24 hours or so. The Aussie dollar is a little lower. It's buying 68.5 US cents. Sean, I think the worst part of this whole beginning of the show was when you entirely glossed over me comparing the ASX to Harry Potter. The thing about it, you, you, Voldemort, was that the fellow that you would chat to? Voldemort, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Voldemort. Yeah, so I, I don't watch, I've never seen Harry Potter. Have you read them though, right? No, I read a book and I thought, right. I mean, I read the first book. It was a, it's a really well-written book and that, but no, not interested. And so when you said, I kind of had to assume that Harry Potter and Voldemort had sort of Opposing powers, did they? But yeah, it's all about balance, light and dark, really. Was Voldemort a baddie? Yes. Goodness. Right. Sean, come on. Catch up here. <laughs> this is... A, okay. Your homework, you just have to go and read a bit more Harry Potter. Would mm. it have made more sense to you if I'd said um, it's like the Jedi and the Sith from Star Wars? Oh, my God. Okay. We'll be back in a moment with the rest of the day's <laughs> business news. Sean, the bill to authorise the voice referendum passed the Senate yesterday, kicking off four to five months of national debate on the issue. The bill passed 52 votes to 19, and the referendum must now be held somewhere between two and six months' time. Now, the most likely date is October 14, according to political analysts. Prime Minister Anthony Albanese said he wants a respectful and fact-based debate, though said he still expects misinformation to spread. Albanese said the vote is about who we are as a nation and that it will be a moment of national unity and a chance to make the nation even greater. Liberal MP Julian Lisa, who quit his job as Shadow Attorney General, said it was important that people are informed ahead of the vote for The Voice. Michael, we are going to hear a lot about The Voice over the next three or four months, and I think the best advice we can give anyone is to be fully informed when you're casting your vote. Yeah, absolutely. And it, it's we're going to be hearing, as you say, an awful lot over the, the next few months. Sean, you've spent time in Canberra working in, in uh, the press gallery, and you've kind of seen campaigns run over a long period of time. This is quite a long time for this amount of information to be out there and this amount of debate. 
is I don't even know whether you can answer this, but with the coalition opposing this in the party room, is there still a realistic chance of this referendum being passed? Oh, I don't like to answer that. I I don't see how it passes without bipartisan support. Full stop. Bottom line. But there could be momentum built for it over time and the Libs could go quiet on it and not make it a political issue. I, I think it'll be very difficult to pass when it's not bipartisan, but you never know. Yeah, indeed. And look, and I suppose it's it's one of those reasons why people need to do everything they can to essentially take the politics out of it and just get educated and, and read the material, study up and make your own decision. Absolutely. Totally. Excellent. Now, uh, still on politics, Sean, the federal government's $10 billion housing fund has been delayed yet again, uh, this time for four months after the Greens won a motion to postpone it. After the voice bill passed Parliament, Green Senator Sarah Hanson-Young moved an amendment to delay debate on the housing bills until the middle of October. The amendment, which just passed after a vote, prevents the government from putting the housing bills on the Senate program until October 16. The coalition is also opposed to the government's housing policy and voted with the Greens. It came after Prime Minister Anthony Albanese announced a $2 billion cash injection for state and territory social and affordable housing on the weekend. That didn't do the trick. The Greens still want a rent freeze. The crossbenchers, people like David Pocock and the Jackie Lambie Network, were not happy with the Greens and the coalition on it. But anyway, that bill has been parked. And plenty of other news coming out of Parliament, Sean, with just a few days left before the midwinter break. Yes, there was, Michael. The plan to stop junk food advertising on TV and radio between 6am and 9.30pm will be introduced to Federal Parliament this week. There's a few teals pushing that one. There remains plenty of pressure on former Liberal, now independent Senator David Vann to leave Parliament after last week's allegations of inappropriate conduct by him. And Prime Minister Anthony Albanese said his government is in the process of improving workplace conduct standards at Parliament House, but said it takes time to get it right. He said Labor is enacting all 28 recommendations of former Sex Discrimination Commissioner Kate Jenkins' review into Commonwealth parliamentary workplaces and has already endorsed draft codes of conduct. Sean, Jetstar is rethinking its international network, adding half a million seats to routes out of Brisbane and axing flights from the Gold Coast. Yeah, it was helped by a $200 million Queensland government support package. In fact, it encouraged the changes, I think is how it was put. There'll be more flights from Brisbane to Tokyo, Osaka, Seoul, Bali and Auckland. The Queensland government last year set up an aviation investment fund designed to help the industry recover from COVID and to attract new international routes from Brisbane. Now, speaking yesterday, Jetstar boss Steph Tully acknowledged the incredible deal offered, and her word was incredible, incredible deal offered by the Queensland Government and Brisbane Airport Corporation. A representative for the Gold Coast Airport, which is definitely the loser in this deal, wasn't quite as happy, saying it was very disappointing. Sean, does this surprise you at all, considering the the airport at Coolangatta, the Gold Coast Airport, is also in Queensland? So it feels like it's just taking from one, giving it to another. Yeah, absolutely. I totally agree with that. It's weird because... Gold Coast really has lost out. I suppose Brisbane is the capital of Queensland or something and they're trying to push business through Brisbane. But, hmm, yeah, I'm not surprised that the Gold Coast Airport people are not happy. Yeah, surely it would make more sense to try and take things from, say, um, say the, the Ballina Byron Airport, which has boomed in recent years, which is firmly in New South Wales, rather than, look, you know what? 
shouldn't try and give too much advice to people because generally my advice is not great. So we might move on. Okay. Sean, Macquarie Group has emerged as the front runner to buy a stake of up to 50% in Energy Australia, the country's third biggest electricity and gas supplier. The deal would be worth billions of dollars and comes after Energy Australia's parent, Hong Kong-listed CLP Group, has been looking for partnerships for the coal power business to help invest to transition to low-carbon energy. According to the Financial Review, while CLP is in discussions to finalise the deal with Macquarie, it's still talking to other interested parties. Now, such a deal would represent a major step in Macquarie's direct involvement in energy assets, especially in the domestic market where it's pretty much only involved in battery storage at the moment. Any deal would certainly ramp up the restructuring taking place in Australia's electricity and gas sector. The big two players are in a state of flux at the moment. Origin is currently the subject of an $18.4 billion takeover bid from North American buyers, including Brookfield. AGL is rethinking its strategy after a failed merger plan last year and an overhaul of the board forced by activist, shareholder and tech billionaire Mike Cannon-Brooks. Now with Energy Australia being shaken up, plenty going on in that sector. Sean, tough time for consulting firm PwC. It's been affected by a global hacking incident after a cyber breach last week at MoveIt, which is a third-party platform designed to transfer sensitive data between different companies. PwC uses the software with only a limited number of client engagements, a spokesperson for the group said. Now, initial investigations show that its own IT network hasn't been compromised and that the cyber attack on MoveIt had a limited impact on PwC. Some clients have been contacted, though. The Russian-linked extortion group C10P has claimed responsibility for the MoveIt hack which affected a bunch of companies and institutions globally, including British Airways, the US Department of Energy, Shell EY, which is a competitor to PwC, and Johns Hopkins University. One last one, Sean, before we get to international news. Anyone along the East Coast and in the West of the country know that it's getting cold, uh, which turns the minds of many people to skiing and notwithstanding the cost of living crisis that's going on at the moment sales of ski passes to some of australia's premier snow fields and alpine resorts are booming yeah so the epic australia pass which gives skiers access to perisher hotham and falls creek as well as resorts in north america japan and switzerland and costs more than twelve hundred dollars each has posted sales growth of 16% in the lead up to the start of the season, according to The Australian. German discount supermarket chain Aldi, which is the single biggest retailer of ski and snow gear in Australia, which I find quite remarkable, it's just finished its highly successful snow gear sale. It was ahead of expectations. Now, Australia's ski industry is worth about $2.5 billion. It'll be a huge relief that there are strong ticket sales given you know, there's been a few years of cancelled or slow ski seasons due to the COVID-19 pandemic. But I do find it slightly surprising that given all the cost of living pressures, there are still plenty of people wanting to go skiing, which is not a cheap sport. No, certainly not. All right, international news now. And US Secretary of State Antony Blinken met with China's top foreign policy official in Beijing yesterday, hoping to stabilise strained ties between the world's largest economies. Blinken and Huang Yi agreed to rebuild communication channels between the two countries, which is actually quite a step forward. Now, Blinken, the day before on Sunday, held a seven and a half hour meeting with the foreign minister 
of China, which according to Bloomberg, both sides described as candid. There were hopes that Blinken was meeting President Xi Jinping overnight. That exchange really is the benchmark of how successful the trip from the US Secretary of State will really be, uh, especially since Xi Jinping, I don't know whether you saw it last week, there were photos that he was meeting Bill Gates, the American billionaire, and that's well ahead of meeting actually US government officials. Uh, finally, Sean, I mentioned this one at the top of the show. There's been a surge in so-called early onset cancer in the under 50-year-old age group. And it's so significant that, that some epidemiologists have suggested it should be called an epidemic. Financial Times analysis of data from the Institute for Health Metrics and Evaluation at the University of Washington School of Medicine shows that over the past three decades, cancer rates in the G20 group of industrialised nations, so this includes Australia, have increased faster for 25 to 29-year-olds than any other age group. Rates for 20 to 34-year-olds in these countries are now at their highest level in 30 years. In contrast, Cases in older age groups over the age of 75 have declined from their peak around 2005. They've been coming down ever since. While there's actually no definitive explanation for the shift, there may be clues in the types of cancer hitting younger people. With colorectal cancer up 70% over the 30 years among 15 to 39-year-olds, for that age group, there's also been a big jump in nasopharynx, prostate, kidney and thyroid cancers. All right. Pretty serious one to finish on, Sean. Now, up next is the Fear and Greed Daily interview with Matt Leibowitz from Stake. Yes, all about where people are investing. They see a lot of flow of money coming in and out of their platforms and how people are investing in AI, how they're investing in lithium, those sorts of companies, as well as whether they're taking more or less interest in passive and active investing. So well worth a listen. Yeah, it sure is. And Stake are, of course, very good supporters of Fear and Greed. It's coming up next on your podcast platform or at fearandgreed.com.au. Thank you, Sean. Thank you, Michael. It's Tuesday, the 20th of June, 2023. Make sure you're following the podcast and join us online on LinkedIn, Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook, and stay up to date on all the business news with Alexa and your Amazon Echo smart speaker. Simply say, Alexa, play the Fear and Greed podcast to catch the latest episode. You can grab yours now at amazon.com.au. I'm Michael Thompson, and that was Fear and Greed. Have a great day.